0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Will you open up in your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 5? 1 Timothy chapter 5. Again, we are going verse by verse through the book of 1 Timothy. And we find ourselves in chapter 5 this morning. And uh, it's been an incredible journey through 1 Timothy. I'm so excited to... Uh, continue journeying on through this and see what the Lord will speak to us about. First Timothy chapter five. Stand with me. We're going to read our passage this morning, beginning in verse three. Paul writing to Timothy says, "Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first le- learn to show godliness in their own household and to make some return to their parents." for this is pleasing the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, HE HAS DENIED THE FAITH AND IS WORSE THAN AN UNBELIEVER. LET A WIDOW BE ENROLLED IF SHE IS NOT LESS THAN 60 YEARS OF AGE, HAVING BEEN THE WIFE OF ONE HUSBAND AND HAVING A REPUTATION FOR GOOD WORKS. IF SHE HAS BROUGHT UP CHILDREN, HAS SHOWN HOSPITALITY, HAS WASHED THE FEET OF THE SAINTS, HAS CARED FOR THE AFFLICTED AND HAS DEVOTED HERSELF TO EVERY GOOD WORK. BUT REFUSE TO ENROLL YOUNGER WIDOWS for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going, from, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Uh, Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to hear what you would have to say to us regarding this passage this morning. This is not a message, Lord, that is that some people can tune out to. It is a message to all of us. You have something to say to every single person in this room today. Will you speak to us, Lord? We open our hearts to you now, God. Will you? We invite you in. We ask you to wreck us, Lord, in a beautiful way that we can become more like Jesus this morning. That is our prayer, Lord. Have your way through your word. By the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you were here last week, you recall that Paul is reminding us that we are a family. Not in the broken, worldly sense of the word. Many of you, as we talked about last week, have a poor Understanding of what family is because your family is broken. Every human family is broken in some way. But when, when we talk about being family in Christ, being knit together in the womb of Christ and, and understanding that we are a family, it's in the perfect sense of the word. It's in the heavenly sense of the word that we're speaking about. And so Paul reminded us last week, he began the conversation with us about family members, and how we deal with sin in the church. How we rightly confront sin in the family of God. That's what we talked about last week. You'll recall that Paul said if you're dealing with an older man, that an, an elderly man, that you're to treat him as a father. If you're dealing with a younger man, that you're to treat him as a brother, an elderly woman as a mother, and a younger woman as a sister, And then he added, in all purity. So you get the sense of what he's talking about. As he moves into chapter 5, he begins to talk about how we care for one another within the body of Christ. How are we to deal with sin? And now we move from verses 1 and 2 into uh, verses 3 through 16, where Paul begins to speak about a specific need within the church Caring for the widows in the family of God. That is the title of my message this morning. Caring for widows within the family of God. The only system of care for the less fortunate in biblical days, and also, by the way, in many countries as of today, happens to be the church, happens to be the people of God. RELIGIOUS ORGANIZATIONS THAT ARE, uh, YOU KNOW, HELPING THOSE WHO ARE LESS FORTUNATE. THERE'S OBVIOUSLY A HUGE PROBLEM WITH WIDOWS IN THE CHURCH OF Ephesus. THAT IS WHY PAUL, EMPOWERED BY THE HOLY SPIRIT, IS SPEAKING ABOUT THESE THINGS. AND I WOULD SAY IN A VERY GENERAL SENSE THAT, YOU KNOW, REALLY THE the IDEA BEING being, uh, DEVELOPED IN THIS PASSAGE IS CARE FOR ONE ANOTHER. And he's specifically in that church he's dealing with, and probably in that day, he's talking about widows. And of course, that's what we'll talk about this morning, but I do not want you to miss that ultimately, the premise of the conversation is care for one another. Care for one another. As Kathy why, he came up and shared about, oh, I did, you know, she didn't go to church here. Uh, another pastor from another church called me and said, you know, hey, she lives down there, would you guys mind helping her out? I said, of course we will, why? Because she's part of the body of Christ. doesn't matter if she's part of our church. She's part of the church, which means she's family. And so we take care of family, right? Listen, there's so many people in our world today that are building their little kingdoms that aren't worried about the church, but their church. And listen, that's a problem. Paul is telling Timothy, uh, listen, you got to take care of people in general. Specifically, you need to really... Be concerned about the widows in your um, congregation. Isn't it interesting that the very first dispute that we find in the book of Acts as the church is being raised up has to do with this subject of widows. You remember in Acts chapter 6 where, um, you know, the the ministry was happening. People were getting saved. You know, 3,000 people or so just got saved. Lots of great things going on. People are selling their things. They're contributing to a pot where they're able to take care of one another. And what happens? The Hellenists, which are Greek-speaking Jews feel like they're being neglected. The widows, the Hellenists that are widows, are feeling like they're being neglected be, probably because they're considered half-breed Jews. Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. But in, in, in terms of the other Jews, who they're just widows, you know, that were real Jewish pe- ladies, they were, they're feeling like they were getting more. So they brought it up to the, the apostles. And you remember what they did. They set up within the church... Seven godly men full of the Holy Spirit that could serve these serve in this ministry to, to minister to the problem. You see, that is what church is, folks. When a, church, when, when a problem arises, we don't run to another church. We say, maybe the Lord is calling me to be part of the solution. And so we try and help and we try to build because, again, this is, a, this is Christ's body. We're a family. Do you run away from your family? You say, I'm not going to deal with that problem. Some of us do. And I would tell you, that is not what God is calling us to do. God wants us to grow. And oftentimes, the only way that we can grow is to confront the things that are going on in our lives. It's the only way it's going to happen. And so, we need to do that. That's exactly what they did. They confronted the problem, and problem was solved. Now, fast forward some 30, 40 years later, and now, you know, Paul's speaking again. Maybe even 60 years later, he's speaking again about this issue about widows in the church. And he has some very specific uh, you know, instruction relating to how we deal with, with widows in the church. So we're gonna get into that in a second. Now, God's intention from day one for his people was to care for the less fortunate. It's all through the Bible. God told us that we should love our neighbor as ourself. God has a sensitive heart for those who are alone and without. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, tells us um, that, that the Lord executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. The Lord commanded that the children of Israel provide for those who couldn't in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 29. It says, And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are with, within your towns, shall come and eat and be fulfilled, be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Listen, there was severe judgment for those who would take advantage of those in need, according to Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 19. It says, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. The psalmist proclaimed in Psalm 68:5, Father of the Fatherless and Protector of the Widows is God in His holy habitation. And again in Psalm 146:9, the Lord watches over sojourners, he upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Bible has much to say about widows and orphans, but perhaps the most impactful verse that we could talk about this morning is held in James chapter 1, verse 27. Many of you know the verse. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. When James was speaking here about religion, He wasn't speaking in a broad sense. He wasn't speaking about all religions. He was speaking specifically about Christianity. And he was saying that if you want to be pleasing before the Lord, if you want the Lord to be exalted, if you want your religion to be pure and undefiled, that you need to take special interest in orphans and widows. And really, ultimately, what he's talking about is people who cannot take care of themselves. That's the kind of people that that we need to be concerned with. Of course, we need to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Of course, we need to, you know, apply the commandments of Christ in our lives and all these things. But if you want your religion to be pure and undefiled, you're going to have a concern for those who cannot help themselves. This is truly the heart of God. Now, you have to understand culturally, when this was written, there was no government assistance. It's not like they could run to the, the, you know, some, you know, human services place and put an application in and hope one day that they would receive food stamps. Wasn't going to happen. They, they, they had to rely on other people if they, were, if they were in one of these camps. And that's still the case in many countries, folks. Do you know that widows and orphans in many countries, their only hope is you and I as we give and donate to missions that are happening all over the world today? Do you know that there are no governmental assistance for many, many, many of the third world countries that occur that are people are still facing the same things that we're facing? Yet they, they, you know, they they have no ability to be supplied for by their government. Listen, we we get calls from missionaries all the time with tragic stories about orphanages that don't have enough money to feed all the kids. So they can only feed them three times a week and in fact two weeks from now or the last Sunday of this month my pastor my first pastor from um, Montana happens to be the head of a missions organization he's the pastoral training um, director of pastoral training for uh, church missions network they're up here in Lebanon Tennessee and part of their program is to feed orphans but but he'll be here at the end of this uh, month the last Sunday of the month and he's going to share with us some of these stories Heartbreaking stories where fathers are feeding their children dirt because they they have no money to feed their children. So they just put something in their stomach so that, uh, you know, the pain goes away. It's tragic. God wants us, you know, wants His church, He wants His people to have great concern for those who are destitute, who have no other hope. They look to the Lord, but listen. As that ministry, hands and feet of Jesus, you're the hands and feet of Jesus. You are, church. And so we rise up and we we rally when there's need. And, of course, there's always need. So we pray through those things. Lord, where do you want me to help? How do you want me to contribute? What can I do, Lord, to help some of these issues that are happening? It's been said, and I don't want to, you know... It's been said before that if the Church of Jesus Christ would rise up and be who we're called to be, that a lot of these social issues would be gone, and it's sad. But listen, we're here this morning to be reminded of God's great heart for those who can't help themselves, and the call that you and I have as Christians to, to, to be the hands and feet to Jesus. We have an obligation, folks. You heard it through the litany of scripture I just gave you. We have an obligation for those who are less fortunate who can't help themselves. When we hear the word widow, we, we automatically assume it's it's solely speaking of a woman who has lost her husband through death, right? That, that, that widow, that's what we, we we associate that word with, and that is the correct, um, you know, definition. But the Greek word that Paul uses here for widow it, it goes beyond that. There, there's a broader meaning to it. It doesn't solely mean a woman who's lost her husband through death. can also include desertion, divorce, or imprisonment. Uh, William Barclay said it fits even those in this polygamist or, uh, you know, kind of uh, um, Greek culture that those who, who came to Christ and then sent their other wives away. It could be referring to them as widows. The word widow in this context means a woman who has no male headship and thus can't care for herself. And what Paul's saying to Timothy is the church has an obligation to take care of a woman who's in this situation. And he gives us specifically some guidance on how to do that. Now, there's four specific kinds of widows that are dressed in our text this morning. We find the true widow as mentioned in verses 3, 5, 9, and 10. Secondly, we have the widows with children and grandchildren in verse 4, 7, and 8, 9b, and 16. We have the younger widow in verses 14 and 11 through 12. And finally, we have the widow who lives for pleasure and not for the Lord, verses 6, 13, and 15. The obligations of the church and every believer will vary depending on what sort of widow that we're dealing with. We're to care for all of them. We begin by considering the obligation to care for the true widow. Look at verse three with me. It says, honor widows who are truly widows. The word honor, it doesn't just mean to show respect, but show respect specifically By way of providing aid, help, financial assistance. The church has an obligation as God's representative to honor widows who are truly widows. What is that? What does it mean, truly widows? Paul gives us some definition to that in verse 5 here. He said, she who is truly a widow... Left alone, she's somebody who's totally left alone. She has nobody else to hope and and, and to live with. She has no one else to depend on. She's by herself completely. She has, listen, set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Why do you suppose she does that? She has no one else to depend on. You're talking about somebody who prays night and day because they have nowhere else to go, There's no physical presence whatsoever that is going to help them in their situation. They are totally, totally dependent on God. Wouldn't you want to be that person? You should be. And that should be the way that we live our lives. This person has no choice. They're they're giving themselves over to the Lord completely and totally, trusting that God is going to get them through. This is the George Mueller kind of mentality that says, Lord, I'm just going to trust in you and believe in you, and I know that you'll provide the meal for those orphans. And you pray through those things. This is a a widow who has no one else to turn to but turns to the Lord. She sets her hope on Him and she continues. It's not something she wasn't doing beforehand. She continues in supplications and prayers night and day. This is the type of widow that doesn't just show up at the church when all of a sudden when need is struck with a sad story of destitution, but she is an active part of the community She's been doing these things. She's been serving the Lord. And all of a sudden, tragically, she loses her husband somehow. And now she is a true widow. She has no children. She has no family. She has nobody to to look after her. And Paul says, this one, the church has direct obligation to take care of. The church at large has direct obligation to take care of such a one as this truly a widow. Not that there isn't mercy for all widows, but in particular, this specific type of widow who has set her hope on God and continues in prayers and supplications day and night, she is to be cared for by the church. The problem with a society like ours is that, uh, you know, we have, again, I mentioned before, we have public assistance, we have welfare, we have all kinds of social programs to help those in need, and it creates a mentality where People begin to seek a handout and not a hand up, right? So people begin to depend on that and not on the Lord. You know, they, they, and that can happen in the church too, where people just automatically depend on the church to do something. Where the, the dependence should never, sh- never shift from God. It's always to be on God. But the point of the matter is that you know He will supply through His church. You know, it's really easy for people to get into that mentality in our culture today where we don't have to depend on God. We depend on ourselves. We depend on, you know, those around us, and we can get along. I mean, look at how many people get along in this life totally, uh, you know, independent of God whatsoever. They're not dependent on God at all, although he is He's at work, right? And he's supplying their needs and all of these things, but they just don't see it that way. Pastor Mike here handles our benevolence ministry here in the church. And we get people that show up on a weekly basis that, you know, will, will give us a sad, a sad, tragic story. And they'll ask the help from the church financially and, and all these sorts of things. And, and, and their stories are sad, man. They're incredibly sad. And you just want to help them. But listen, um, you know, ultimately we truly want to help them. So we got to get to the bottom of why they're in the situation they're in. And that takes some time. You know, you have to sit down with a person. You have to understand their story. You've got to understand where they're coming from. It's easy to do that if somebody's in the church. Like the widow that Paul's speaking about, somebody who's already been active in the church, who's continuing to do the things that they're doing, there's really not a lot that you need to know, right? It's just, hey, this is the circumstance the Lord calls us to stand up. But, but listen, you have to get to the bottom of it. You have to, you have to understand what is the real situation, you know? How many of you guys automatically assume when you walk by a, a homeless person or somebody that you know that, that they're a drug addict or an alcoholic anybody automatically assume that I know we're in church and everybody says i don't judge people, but come on for real how many of you guys actually think that we do we, we, we walk by somebody and we think like man that person's a drug addict that alcoholic or some mental issue or whatever you know but they 're messed up and that 's why they're, they're, they're choosing to do these kinds of things listen that is not the case always and I promise you that uh, there's a whole subset of the homeless community that, is, that, is, that works a regular job, that lives in their car, that has no ability to pay a rent or anything like that. Maybe, maybe it's because of bad, poor choices that they've made. That, that's not you know, really the discussion. But, but ultimately, it's not because they were a drug addict. It's not because they're an alcoholic. It's because they're, they're barely getting by, and they, th- this is the only way they can do it is just to continue to work and live in their car, and that's what they do. There's a ton of people in our community in Columbia that live that way. Did you know that? Just, just pull up to Walmart at night and see how many people are sleeping in a parking lot in their cars. When you see a car pull up at a light and you see them, it packed out with stuff in there, in that's because they live in the car. I know you know that. There's many, many people. And in fact, we partnered with a, with a ministry here locally called Shower Up. That, come, that comes and brings mobile showers and, and things, so people have a place to take a shower every so often. And it's, uh, it's a sad situation. Not everybody you know, fits the bill of um, some you know, substance abuse problem or anything, but, but we gotta get to the bottom of it. And so we listen to people's stories. We have an application that they need to fill out. You know, here, here's, your, here's, a, here's a benevolence application we want you to fill out. Do you know how many people will totally reject that application? Why do you think they'll reject filling out that application? Because they don't want a hand up. They want a hand out. And so they won't fill the application out. They won't receive any counsel. They won't receive any of that kind of stuff. Listen, those, those type of people, the type of people that are only looking, th- these are the type of people that showed up when Jesus was feeding the 5,000. But then when he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part from me, departed. Right? When it really cost them something to follow Jesus, they were there to get something from him, but giving him nothing. Right? And so we have to understand the heart behind the person. And, of course, we need to be in operation of the Holy Spirit. Of course. But, but, but if you know a widow who is part of a body or you know somebody who's part of the body, you, you really already under, understand the underlying story, and you don't have to do that. But Paul is saying the type of widow that he's speaking about is that kind of person. You know them, Timothy. You don't have to get to know what, really what their story is. You already know them. They're, they're part of your congregation. They've been part of your congregation. They've been doing, they're following God. They're, 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 they're believing and trusting in the Lord. They're begging upon Him to, to supply their needs. They're not dependent on other people, but they're, they're totally sunk into the Lord. He says, if you find a widow like that in your church, you are absolutely obligated to help her. Do not turn away from her, church. You help her. Now, how does he tell us to help her? Well, look at verse 9, the first part of verse 9. He said, let a widow, who is a true widow, he's speaking about, be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, again in verse 10, and having a reputation for good works. Now, why am I skipping around? Because the, 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 the qualifications for these are kind of weaved in and out. He kind of talks about the different types of widows. <laughs> he goes from one to another, back to another. So that's why we're doing it this way. But he, he tells us first and foremost, the, the qualification for a true widow who has her hope set on God, who is continuing in supplication and prayers night and day. She must be 60 years of age to be enrolled for help. Now, why 60 years of age? Because that would be considered an, an elderly person in that culture. So anybody below 60 would be considered young. And so, you know, in, 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 in this type of culture, there was, you were you know, elderly and, and then you were young. There was no in between, you know. I'm, there's no middle-aged people or anything like that. And so if you were 60 and above, then you're, you're elderly. So you, you would qualify uh, to be enrolled for help. Again, there's another consideration, though. Notice, she she was the wife to one husband. Now you might recall this when we talked about in First Timothy chapter three, when we we're talking about the husband of one wife, a one-woman man. It's the same idea, a one. No, a, I don't know. I'm gonna mess that up. But a one-woman man, right? She she only has one. She only has one spouse, and she's not a player, and she's faithful to her husband. She's not promiscuous. She's not messing around on him that she has, she is that kind of a woman, a, a wife. Does it mean that she had to be married in order to be enrolled? Well, not necessarily, but that wouldn't make her a widow either. So ultimately he's saying that this person, you know, she, she has a reputation of being a faithful wife. He, she has also a reputation of good works. And, and if the person, these are the qualifications for the person to be enrolled, um, if they f- meet that qualification, then, then the church needs to help them. How do you get a reputation of good works? How do you do that? By doing good works, right? By living the, being the living example, by somebody who is truly living out their faith. And so this, this type of a person, man, she's serving others. She has a reputation of of doing these things and so Paul says make sure you you enroll her what is he talking about enroll her in what some of your um, some of your versions might say put her on the list Uh, many scholars agree that uh, you know when a woman was over 60 years of age in this culture she became a widow um, that she was probably too old to be remarried and so they would put her on a list um, and specifically, this list seems to indicate some sort of ministry obligations. And so in other words, what's happening is this widow is going on staff at the church and they're going to provide for her through this means. You know, the, the church is going to provide for her, 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 her living and all this, this kind of stuff, but she has obligations. One of them we'll see in a moment is that she ought not be married again. Her life is completely given over to the Lord. She's to serve the Lord in whatever ministries they might need help in. Maybe it's prayer ministry. Maybe she's a prayer warrior. Maybe it's counseling younger women. Maybe, you know, and, and that's why it's so important that they fit the qualifications of the person that meets, that meets you know, that, that has this kind of a reputation. It has to be somebody that is maturing in the Lord, that's seeking after the Lord. That's what he's talking about specifically when he's talking about this widow here he's talking about somebody who would be able to jump into ministry and 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 and, and fulfill whatever the church might need they're going to the, the church is caring for them and they're going to care for the church again this is not a handout it's a hand up they had something to offer as much as the church had something to offer the implications of the passage suggest that uh, true widows were a smaller group of widows within the church it would seem that that not everybody would fit this qualification. Not everybody would just automatically be added to the list, and then this, not, this is a specific kind of position that Paul is speaking about. And he says, you know, if they fit that bill, you guys, the church needs to take care of their needs, needs to, needs to help them pay for, you know, for, make sure they have a place to live, that they have food to eat, all of that kind of stuff. Didn't the Old Testament already say that? Didn't already say that you make sure you take care of those people who are in need like that? Yeah, It did. But Paul's saying specifically, this person is also giving back to the ministry. She's serving in the ministry. Where does the money come from to do this? How does somebody practically care for widows in this way? How do you take on their obligations, their personal obligations? Where does the money come from? It comes from the people. It comes from the saints of God. The saints of God. That's, that's where all of us have an obligation to this. You see, when, when, when there is need within the church, it's not the church's problem, it's the church's problem. You know what I'm saying? So it's not just my problem, it's your problem. And the Lord will specifically, man, he is so faithful even beforehand, before needs are even known. He is so faithful to put that on people's hearts and to just deploy that within. Now, if you're in the Old Testament and you're following Judaism, then you're already obligated to give to that specific fund. So part of your tithe would go specifically to a fund that would help orphans and widows and whatnot. So they had that fund already set up. By the way, in the Old Testament when you gave, it wasn't just 10%. I I don't know if you know that or not. It was probably more like 27%. There was all kinds of other things included in on that. The tithe was to the Lord, which was 10%, but there were all kinds of other things, all kinds of other offerings that you would give as a part of that. The new covenant mandate for giving, however, is not a percentage. Did you know that? It's not necessarily a percentage. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he said, Every, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God isn't just, just trying to put the screws to people to, to see how much money he can turn out of them. He says, listen, do what's in your heart. Now, I do think that there's a command in here, each one must give. Each one must give. It's not a matter of if you should give, you must give, but how must you give? Not reluctantly or under compulsion. You must give because the Lord is putting it on your heart to give. That is why you give. Listen, I became a Christian. I had no idea what all that meant. I was like, did I not give nobody my money? Uh Uh-uh, nobody's getting my money. So. But, but listen, I didn't grow up in the church. I had no concept whatsoever about that. And then when I, uh, when I did become a Christian, that was one of my hangups, to be honest with you. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about giving this money thing. What do they need that for? What do you think they need it for? Do you think the, 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 the electric company just goes, hey, no, you're a church. You don't have to pay that. You think the, 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 the water people say, oh, yeah, we'll just leave it on for free. You know, no, facilities cost money. People in, we need to take care of all kinds of other things within the body, you know? So there's all kinds of needs. But the Lord takes care of all of them, including taking care of widows through the body of Christ, through your generosity. And and so it's always been that way, and it will always be that way. Listen, God, God is teaching us something incredibly valuable through the ministry of giving. Through the offering of God. Yes, you know, worship is not just singing songs. It's not just, you know, listening to sermons, but it's also putting your hands and feet to the the work of the ministry. That is also worship. It's also giving unto the Lord, giving the Lord everything that you've got. You know, and and I, I like, Wayne, I like what you put on your social media earlier this week where you said, God blesses us so that we can bless other people. You know, the, the, he gives us because he, he wants us to be givers. And so, you know, what, what the tendency of the human heart is, it's to get and then hold on. And to just hold on to everything. But listen, let me tell you something. This has never failed me. Keep your, ha- your palms up, keep your hands open, and let it flow. Whatever the Lord's given you, you give back out, man. Bless the socks off, people. Because as we, uh, you know, talked about earlier, before we started the sermon we're not living for this world, right? Our, we're storing our treasures up in heaven. We want to bless people. God uses the saints to bless people, you know? And, and so I just want to encourage you, that's the heart behind giving. Why do I need to give? Why, do I, why should I do these kinds of things? Because God uses your gift to help other people. It's not necessarily, sadly, ministers have abused that, that, that in their ministries. and. Many people, you know, many, many pastors abuse the finances of the church and all of that kind of stuff. Listen, here, here's the thing, and I love the way that, I don't know if every Calvary does this, the way that most Calvaries do it is, listen, I have no idea who gives what. And, I, and that's the way it should be because I don't want to have anything in between you and I. We're, we're human beings. And so, you know, I I just like not knowing what's happening in terms of the specifics. You know, I know the overall numbers, how much money we get in on a weekly basis and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know who gives what. And I'm glad I don't. And I don't need to know that. You know, the, the, the heart of the matter is that the Lord will utilize all of your giftings to supply the needs of the church and those in the church and even those outside the church. So that's the point. Paul is saying, listen, if there's, there's a true widow in your, in your congregation like that, you need to, you're obligated to take care of her. What about a widow with children and grandchildren? Look at verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness in their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Down to verse 7. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially the, for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Verse 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Paul goes on to talk to us about widows who do have some means of being taken care of by way of children or grandchildren. That ought to be the first step for them when they're seeking out help. The care of a, of a parent gives a child is to be repaid when the, when the parent is, gets older. But here's the sad thing about that, the mentality in our culture today of many parents, the heart of many parents is this, and maybe you've said this yourself, well, I just don't wanna be a burden to my children. I don't want to be a burden. You know what the Bible says? Be a burden to your children. That's what it says. Be. I plan to be a great burden to my children. When I'm older, like I plan to just, listen, I have four kids, 18 times four. I could pretty much retire right now and I'm good. They're, it's their burden once they get 18. Not all of them are. But but the, the, the reality of it is, is that many, many older and aging people will not allow their children or grandchildren to care for them. Particularly in our country, and you know why that is? Because we have built a mentality in America to be self-dependent. And so if you're not self-dependent, it seems like you're sub-par in our culture. That is not the case. Listen, there is something incredibly special about this idea of a parent investing in a child and then the child later investing in the parent. There is something incredible that the Lord does. He wants the church to know Paul is telling Timothy that if uh, there if there is a means of assistance for a widow, if they have a child or uh, if they have grand if they had a child or they have grandchildren, then they are to care for them. And listen, unfortunately many of the children in our in our culture today have have the same mentality that they don't want to care for their parents. Do you know that's completely wicked is what this says? That you're worse than an unbeliever if you won't care for your own household. Like, it. Like what is the love of Christ? The love of Christ is to give sacrificially, right? And, um, you know, we should give to those who, 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 who have helped us, th- our parents who have raised us up. We should give back to them. Paul is saying, Whoever doesn't provide for his relatives in this way, he denied the faith. It's completely wicked in God's eyes for children and grandchildren to forsake this calling as, as much as it is for the church to neglect true widows. By caring for them, Paul tells us that it's it's training them in godliness. How do I become more godly? You do what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? If you are a child or a grandchild you take care of your parents. It doesn't say how to do that. That's up to you. That's between you and the Lord how you take care of your parents. But as they age and they there's needs there, you have an obligation to take care of them. So what are you saying here? Listen, my dad came to live with us years prior to his death. He was on hospice for probably like 8 years or something. And he lived with us in our house and Um, listen, he was not the easiest dude to live with for me, but I promise you, I was not the easiest dude to live with when I was younger either, and so there's a trade-off there, and and I love my dad, and and we had some great times together, and I love that he was in our home, and that, um, you know, he was able to build connection with my kids, and they were able to get to know him on a different level than they would have been able to had he not lived with us, you know, and in all of that there's an, there's, a, there's an inherent blessing in what God is telling us to do here isn't that always the way the commandments of Christ work that there's inherent blessing weaved inside of them but we just we have a problem with that oh, I'm not doing that listen Jesus has something significant for you in the midst of your obedience you will, that's the only place you will find it when you're obedient to the Lord and you do what he tells you to do There's a biblical mandate for believers to return to their parents, to return that which they were given. It says it's pleasing in God's sight. God is blessed when younger people are taking care of older people. It blesses Him. It's pleasing in His sight. Interesting enough, do you know that a Pew survey taken back a few years ago said that 75% of people in the United States, believe that they have an obligation to care for their parents. 75%. I mean, people believe that that's true. That's something that God has ingrained in us. It's something that there's, there's, a, there's a care for, for at least within our own families that we have for one another that, that says, I have an obligation to care for my parents. And so, you know, many people do do that, but there's many that don't. Let that not be said of you, church, that you take care of your parents. If you have the capability, listen, what Paul is saying to the church is that is their obligation. And when somebody comes to us and says, hey, you know, we need help with this. Um, Pastor Mike is going to dig into the story. He's going to find out who, you know, who is alive in, the, in your family and all of these kinds of things. And then we're going to say, well, what about them? You know, what about your child? What about your grandchild? And then we're going to dig into that a little bit and, and understand that a little bit. There's an obligation there. And, and the church, listen, specifically, if we're, if, we're, if we're talking the letter of the law, which we're never talking the letter of the law in a grace-filled church, but what we're, what we're talking about is God says that the church is absolutely obligated to true widows, but it's not so for somebody who has someone else that can take care of them. In other words, there's always mercy and grace. And don't confuse that. But, but the first place a person should go is their family. And they should say, hey, can we get help from our family? So Paul tells them it's crucial. Hey, parents, listen up. You're training your children to care for you now. Do you know that? So you should probably do it in the way that you like it. I don't know, I'm just saying that. That might be a good idea for you. If you like your eggs a certain way, you might want to train your children to make your eggs that way. If you like to have your house kept in a certain way, you might want to train your children to do that. That way, when you get older, you can kick back and go, man, my work is over. And and you know what? You get to live consistently the same all the way through your life. Awesome. That's a great thing to do. Train them now, or you will kick yourself later. Paul goes on here and, and he and he talks about verse 9b. He he talks about the character of this woman. And I want you to hear through through the Paul talking about the women, he's talking about character within women as well. I hope you're picking up on that. He says, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Paul is saying that there is characteristic behind this woman. When it says she brought up children, it means in the Lord. Not just that she raised them up and kicked them out, but she raised them up in the right way that they know Jesus. Mama, you have a a mandate to raise your children to know Jesus Christ. You have an obligation to do that. Listen, you cannot make them know Jesus, but you can raise them to know Jesus. You can't make them, you know, you can't lead a horse... Uh, You can't make a horse drink the water, but you can lead him. You know what I'm following. You follow me. (laughs) That's not in my notes. So, uh, but but, but the reality is, is that, um, you know, the best way that you can do that, Mom, is by doing it yourself, being the example. Right? May your kids see you studying the Word of God outside of church in your living room. May they see you praying, you know, in the quiet where nobody else is. May they may they sneak up on you and see you serving the Lord, loving the Lord, giving the Lord your heart. You want your children to know Jesus. They need to see uh, you know Jesus. They need to see your example, your worship. Not only that, but Paul goes on here and he says that that there's works involved in that, in that worship. That it's not just, again, listening to sermons and singing songs, but it's, Putting the hand of the plow and doing the work of the ministry, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, caring for the afflicted, devoting yourself to every good work. Children need to understand that worship is an—it's—it's it, it's an activity. It's something that we do, something we engage in. It's not—it's not—it's participative. It's not an event we show up to, it's something that we live, it's a lifestyle that we live out. And mom, as you're serving the Lord, and you're washing the feet of the saints, meaning you're serving within the body of Christ in some way, shape, or form, you're making meals for the person who's sick, You're, you're doing all these different things that you do to serve the body of Christ, your children are watching, and they're watching you worship. So you need to rear your children up in that way by the example that you set forth. Paul mentions that she cares for the afflicted, that there's a compassionate and kind heart within this mother, looking to encourage those who are down. You can't do that if you're not devoted to Jesus yourself. You have to fill yourself up so you have something to give back out. Again, the church has no direct obligation other than to be gracious and merciful to widows who have family that can care for them. Their family needs to step up and and care for them. That's God's design here. What about younger widows? Look at verse 14. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, but refuse to enroll younger widows, uh, verse 11, for... When their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. So we're looking at verse 14 and then verses 11 and 12. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, declares that the church's obligation towards young widows is to encourage them to get remarried. What should, again, what constitutes a younger widow? Somebody who is under 60 years old. You're 59 and a half, man. We're gonna, have to, dude. You need to be looking for a spouse. <laughs> you know, I, I'm. I don't know where you do that at that age, but <laughs> Christianmingle.com. <I think. laughs> but, but, but he, he. Paul tells Timothy, you need to cons- You need to encourage younger widows to get remarried. Again, understanding the culture, that there was very little that women could do to contribute to society in, the, in this culture, really. Both the Greek, the Roman, um, you know, in, in the Jewish culture, there was little that they could do. It's not like you could go out and, I mean, there's things that they could do, but it was always coupled with a husband. So if you were by yourself, it, it was very difficult for you to be able to make a living. So Paul says, listen, if you're young and, and, you know, you still have the capacity to have children and all of that kind of stuff, you need to find a spouse. You know, and and you look at look at the story of Ruth, in the Old Testament. Remember, she became a, a young widow. What did she do? Go back to her home and live under her dad's roof? No, she followed her mother in law, and then she she found Boaz, and then they got they got married. She pursued him. Did you see that in the story? Of course, he's the kinsman redeemer, but 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 she's sleeping at his feet, right? She went and pursued him. Paul is saying you need to. Um, tell these younger widows that they need to consider being remarried at this point. And Paul, Paul says something very practical here, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but in verse 11, he says, the reason for it is because she has passions within her heart that might draw her away. What's he talking about? Is he talking about sexual passions? Maybe, but I don't think so totally. I think what he's talking about passions is the desire for family, The desire to be married, the desire for children, that is an aid in women in general. And so Paul is saying, you know, there's that that desire within a young widow. And if you put her on the list right now, what's going to happen is, you know, she might be okay in the moment of grief. She might be like, I'm never going to get remarried again. Put me on the list. I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to vow to never be remarried again. But then a couple years goes by. She meets the tall, dark, and handsome guy. And she's like, oh, but I took a vow. And Paul says, you know, the, the flesh will be lured away from the commitment made to Christ. And that is true, folks. That is why we have to kill the flesh. We, have to, we can't let the flesh have any kind of power over in our lives because it will lure us right away. It will draw us right away from Christ. That also suggests... As Jesus said, don't make stupid vows. Don't vow to do something that you cannot commit yourself to. Because if you vow to the Lord, he expects you to keep the vow. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking about this. Uh, Specifically in verses 33 and 37, he said, Dude, if you make a vow to the Lord, it's expected that you keep that vow. So he says, don't vow. God isn't making you vow. You don't have to vow to him. God, if only you do this, then I will... You know what that's called? A vow. Don't make vows to the Lord if you don't intend to keep them. Paul says it's very unlikely for a a younger woman to make a vow, not to remarry. And, you know, it's very unlikely for her to keep that vow. And so he says, just encourage them to be remarried. That is the practical thing. That is the natural thing. So just encourage her to do that and refuse to enroll her. No matter how strong she stresses, I'm gonna, you know, I wanna do this. You say, listen, give it some time. And in the meantime, by the way, the church has obligation to care for her. Until she is at a place where she can be cared for, She, the church does have obligation to care for her. She has nowhere else to go. Paul says, hey, encourage her to be married. Once she's married, you know, she'll bear children. That was the natural thing that happened. Um, you know, hopefully she's being poured into by the older widows of the church and she is uh, learning how to manage her household well and all of this kind of stuff. Paul says, but make sure um, that you do not enroll her on the list because that will give the Satan an occasion to slander her. That's how the church should care for younger widows. Now we move on to those who. Widows who live for pleasure, verse six. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives, verse 13. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying that saying what should, not, saying what they should not. for some have already strayed after Satan. THE WIDOW LIVING FOR PLEASURE, LISTEN, IS DRINKING FROM A WELL THAT CANNOT SATISFY. SHE IS DRINKING FROM THE WELL OF MEN. YOU KNOW THE STORY OF JOHN CHAPTER 4, JESUS SHOWS UP AT THE WELL AND HE MEETS THE WOMAN WHO IS DRINKING FROM THAT WELL HERSELF. FIVE HUSBANDS DOWN THE LINE. Drinking from this well of thinking this relationship is going to fill me up. This relationship is all I need. All I need a man in my life and then everything will be fine. Five men later, not even the husband of the woman at the time. And Jesus says, dude, the water that you continually drink of, it has no capacity to satisfy you. But if you drink from the well that I tell you, you will never thirst again. I don't know what well that is for you in your life, but I can tell you the result is exactly the same. If you're recurring to drink from a well that is just leaving you dry, it's a well that cannot satisfy. Only Jesus can satisfy. There is no horizontal thing, a relationship, I don't care what it is, that will satisfy you. You will always be in want. Only Christ can satisfy. And and, and so... Paul is, Paul is saying this, this woman, she, she's drinking from this well of personal pleasure, of relationship, and, and he says she's, she's dead while she lives. What is he saying? She's an unbeliever. She is spiritually dead. She, she, she's learned to live off of others, to be idle in her time, gossiping, being a busybody, saying what she should not say. She's, she's literally straight after Satan. He says to such a one as this, the church, the church's obligation, and this is maybe harsh for some, is to refuse to help her so that she can experience the weight of her sin and be born again. Sometimes the best answer for us to give somebody is no. Sometimes the, the only way that we can help a person is to not help them. You know, they're, they're, sometimes the best thing to do is just Take your hands off the wheel and just let the Lord do what he's going to do. Did you know you're not the Savior? Anybody else? Did, Is that a newsflash? Anybody here? They're like, wait a second. I'm not the Savior? Yeah, you're not the Savior of your kid. You're not the Savior of your spouse. You're not the Savior of your parent. You're not the Savior of your friend. You're not the Savior of anyone. But there is a Savior. And sometimes uh, the best thing for us to do is let the Savior do what he does best he saves. And so we just just step back and we say, "Lord, this is yours. You have to take control of this situation." You know, there's obligations for a Christian to do so so much, but then there's an obligation to step back and say, "Lord, only you can reach this person." And I do believe that that's what he's saying in this passage when it comes to somebody whose sole purpose is to live for pleasure. They have no regard for God. They don't care. This is the person that is looking for the handout, not the hand up. They have no regard for the Lord whatsoever. The only thing that they're concerned about is where will I get my next fill? My next whatever it is. To that one, the only loving thing to do is say no. And allow the Lord to do. Now, that, that puts some people in some hard situations. And listen, I've had to do that before. And, and with family members and, and uh, you know, people that come in here, you always, you feel bad. Why? Because we're compassionate people. Don't you think God is compassionate? Of course he is. Where do you think you get it? He's incredibly compassionate. He's kind. He's loving. But at the same token, he knows exactly what we need in our life. And if that means that we got to go to the bottom of the barrel, he loves us so much, he'll take us there. And I can't sit here and say that it doesn't hurt the Lord to watch people go to the depths that they go so that he can get their attention. Listen, I, I promise you, it hurts the Lord to watch people, you know, when they could have come to him way earlier, given their lives over to him, but, but they refuse. And so they, they find themselves down this, this dead-end road that with a life full of tragedy, mistakes, and all these things that he said, man, if you just would've listened, but fortunately, what the Lord can do with somebody like that is turn their life around when they finally do get to that place. And He can make all of that, that, that He can redeem all of that, all those bad mistakes, all the bad things that had happened to them. He can redeem it all. And so there's always hope. But when it comes to our horizontal ministry to people, and our, our obligations to do certain things. Of course, we're obligated to love people right where they are. But sometimes, the, the, the best way we can love people is not to give them something, but to just let the Lord do what He's going to do. And maybe that's a word for somebody here this morning, that you're dealing with somebody in your family who has got that going on, and, and you need to just step back and let the Lord handle it. Um, so Paul's telling us this... This widow that lives for pleasure, he's saying she's straight after Satan, and it's not something that the the church has to just allow that natural recourse. The Bible, Paul also said that there comes a period of time for even believers that you deliver them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, where you just say, listen, I refuse to pour into that anymore. I'm not, you know, until you're repentant and you're willing to come back, you know, I'm turning you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh that your soul might be saved. You know, for a believer, you're not gonna to go to hell, but you can experience hell on earth. I promise you that. And that's not the Lord's will for you. He doesn't want that for you. He wants, he wants whatever's necessary for you to grow, for sure. But a lot of the hardships that we deal with in our lives, folks, are personal decisions that we've made to go down roads that take us, take us down tragedy. Tragedy lane, anybody been there? The church's obligation for widows is clear. We are absolutely called to care for those who have no other means of being cared for. We are the last resort, though, for not the first for many of these these types of widows. The church is not a wealth organization. It is a spiritual hospital meant to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're called to be compassionate and loving, and sometimes that means saying no to someone. We have a clear teaching here by the Apostle Paul on how to minister to to widows, And my prayer is that each and every one of us will take what we've heard here and apply it to our lives. Take seriously the obligations that we have before us and that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus to the body of Christ and beyond, amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for just, Lord, giving us instruction relating to this topic. What a thorough understanding we have Lord, on how we're supposed to deal not just with widows in general, but widows specifically. And yet, uh, the overall arching blanket that we hear over and over, no matter the topic, is to love one another, to minister to those in need, to have compassion on those who are fallen, Lord, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, weep with those who weep. This morning, Father, I pray that you there's anything in our hearts that is being obstructed from being who we're called to be in terms of caring for people around us, Lord. Will you forgive us this morning? Will you help us? Will you equip us, Lord, to to care for those around us and those you've put into our lives, Father? We just ask you to fill us with your spirit this morning. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. For the blood that was shed upon the cross for us. That we can be redeemed people that have, that, that have a genuine care for others. Because of the care that you displayed for us. No greater love is this than one that would lay down his life for his friends. Thank you, Jesus. For loving us that way. We pray as we continue to close now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, just draws us to a deeper place, Father, and that you help us to just deal with the things that are in our hearts now. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me?